Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Outspoken with White and Jordan. Hard-edged, hard-nosed, hard to beat. Where are you coming from in this one? Your 100% essential download. Jim White and Simon Jordan. You let this get out of control. Outspoken with White and Jordan. From the world's biggest sports radio station, Talk Sport. Thanks for listening to Outspoken with White and Jordan. I'm Sam Matavase, and today myself, Simon, and Martin Keown discuss the prospect of blue cards making their way into football. Why is the professional game so resistant to change? Elsewhere, following suggestions from Roy Keane and Gary Neville over the cleanliness of former opponents, we asked Martin if football has had a bigger drug problem than it cares to admit. Plus, after a viral performance last weekend, light heavyweight boxer Ben Whitaker joined us in the studio as he looks to keep his feet on the ground. This is Outspoken with White and Jordan. Nice to see that Martin eventually got into the studio. Was he outside taking a selfie with Elvis, do you think? Possibly. Or or, or instructing people what research he needs available to him. I was a bit shook up. (laughs) Oh, dear. I made it in. (laughs) It's nice to see you anyway. You had a good walk over London Bridge, you were telling me earlier. Lovely, yes, invigorating. Very nice. We're privileged. That's good to hear. Absolutely. Where the studio is. Yes. And we could afford to live here. We're, we're, Simon, Simon obviously. We're, we're privileged to have your company as well again today. How are you, Simon? All right? I'm good. I'm good. I'm not entirely happy that you've decided to uh, adopt the Polonet look. This is my look this week. It's my look. Didn't realise it was you, copyrighted. You come in. Yeah, yeah. Indeed, it is. Well, listen, you pull it off better than I well, do. It's let's nice to see someone there. that wears one that's fitting rather than the ones that Jim wears that are sort of hanging all <laughs> saggy and look bloody dreadful. Well, that grey one that he wears yeah. every every yeah. Friday. This looks like something Rigsby would wear with rising damp. <laughs> well, he's not here to defend himself, but he will be back on Monday. And what a show we've got for you on Monday because Tony Scholes is coming into the the studio. That'll be interesting. We'll get into that in Great. just a few uh, uh, moments. Hey, listen, I think you'll enjoy that. I know Tony Scholes. I knew him when he was chief executive of Preston. At Stoke City as well. Well, whoop de doo All right, okay. All right, well, that, that sounds like a great conversation for Monday then. <laughs> Looking forward to it. Uh, it's been a bit of a blue day already for football. Well, especially if the response from fans to the first new penalty card to be introduced into the game in 54 years is anything to go by. Uh, the move is going to be announced by IFAB as part of Simbin protocols. So what we'll see players removed from the field for 10 minutes if they commit a cynical foul or show dissent towards a match official. It has been. Uh, in the uh, lower leagues trialling for quite some time already. And last night, FIFA very quick to deny reports that this is going to come into elite football as early as next season and that trials would be limited to testing at a lower level, which was a little bit odd because that's what they've been doing already. Danny Murphy spoke to us earlier in the week and he said, whatever happens, sim bins just won't work. I was all for the beginning of the season, This the referees dishing out cards to players who start remonstrating quickly, getting in the face, all for it. Get rid of the petulance. Booking the managers, booking the coach, booking the players. As soon as you're petulant, get them booked. Look, football's entertainment. All you're going to get with Simbins, all you're going to get is one team and they'll work on it in training quickly. You're a player down, you drop off. You'll have 10-minute spells in games where it's like a training practice. You'll have one team defending and one team attacking. And everyone will just do it. You'll automatically fall into a low block to get through that 10 minutes. That's exactly what will happen. 
one player less in a game of football of two teams with equal quality is hugely significant. The whole dynamic of football will change. It will be an absolute joke as a spectacle. Um, did they fly a kite in sort of the way that political parties often do? Let it be known that this was a possibility, test the response, and now backtrack? Possibly. Um, I, I don't know, but what I don't know... the backlash know... has been quite severe. Well, there's always a backlash to anything that's new. There's always a backlash to um, something that changes the dynamics of something. I'm sure there was a backlash when it went from two points to three points. I'm sure there was a backlash when goalkeepers couldn't pick the ball up anymore, mm. and so on and so forth. Um, it's whether this is, a, is, is for the greater good. I'm, not, I'm always for evolution and for changing things, and for changing things for the better. But I'm not entirely sure what this is changing and what it's trying to achieve. The, the idea that referees need to be given more authority and the ability to be able to deal with dissent more comprehensively has yet to distill. We're seeing like a 30-40% increase in yellow cards being given to players. Mm. The penny drops, or does it, because we've still got players pulling the shirts off one another in a penalty box, but notwithstanding that, the consequences of a greater strident approach from referees has yet to find its level. So why are we introducing another level of refereeing conundrum or consideration rather than simply you open your trap as a player yellow card you open it again you yeah. get sent off but it's not just, it's not just for dissent it is for uh, the cynical foul as well yeah. and Martin one of Stuart Pierce's pet peeves is that cynical foul that breaks up a promising mm -hmm. attack and it happens quite a lot it's, it's what you would call a professional foul do you think this is something that needs tidying up and do you think it will work I don't think it'll work for me it's a, a red card for the blue card we shouldn't be using it what we should be doing is just strengthening what we already have, the current system. So a cynical tackle, send someone off. Absolutely right. Just send them off. Why don't we just need a two-card system? It's a good job Graham Pohl's still not around because I don't know what, how many cards he would be handing out. We're complicating things too much. So for me, it gets a red card and we shouldn't be introducing it. And I hope FIFA now or UEFA have stepped in and said they don't want it. Why are we messing around and complicating? The game's a simple game. Just keep it simple. Are you just not resistant to change? Because some people might say it's been working in the lower leagues and it's it's, it's had a good effect. No, I'm all for change. Uh, I, in fact, I embrace the right, change. The right change. But this doesn't. I don't think this improves things. I think it just further complicates it. Uh, we have enough to concern ourselves with at the moment, don't we? Uh, we're going to hear from a director of a club who has been involved uh, in games with blue cards in the not-too-distant future. Um, but uh, we talk about the backlash, even the UEFA president saying yesterday that it's not football anymore. You've heard Danny Murphy. The backlash from fans has been evident. Uh, do you think the IFAB will care about that? Um... Look, the stakeholders in the game, for want of a much overused expression, are supposed to be the intellectual capital alongside the, room, room, alongside the rule makers. So they should work hand in glove. You should have, as Martin often refers to, intellectual capital that comes from the playing side, that comes from the officiating side, that comes from the governing side, that comes from the controlling side. And out of that, whilst you don't want, you don't want paralysis by analysis, you, you, know, you should have a democratic approach to a point where the intelligence behind it considers all the various manifestations of the challenges like you just alluded to the professional foul and that being accepted and priced in take one for the team mentality if it's a concern then consequence it on a greater level and then take the concern away because then all of a sudden players will be making decisions that have a consequence because the big argument is is a player goes through him a lot in two minutes to go someone taps him pulls him down gets a yellow card the game's been affected for the offensive side but not really for the defensive one so in that instance as martin quite rightly says 
then up the consequence. Well, the consequence is there. If you're the last man and you bring someone down who's going through on goal, it's a red card offence. So that level of consequence is there. This is for mouthing off at a referee. This is for simulation. This is for uh, those promising breaks on the halfway line where there is cover. I mean, I'm assuming it's it's two blues is a is a red, two and blues a, is a red, and a blue and a yellow is a red, but it's kind of like it's just it's just too complicated. <laughs> I mean, it's just it's ridiculous. I always thought blue and yellow were green. Anyway, yeah. Um, here's Eddie Howe. He's been speaking about it this morning. Yeah, I'm not a big fan, to be honest. I, I think that's what yellow cards are for. Uh, I think the, the current system works well. It's just got to be applied right. Um, I think adding a blue card would just add more confusion, just in my opinion. So I'm. I'm against it. Yeah, very much on the same lines as Simon. So in which case, are the IFA be out of touch with the game? The constant rewriting of the law, no. the poor VAR protocol? No, it's their job to, a fl- to run a flag up right, and to look at it and to look to evolve the game, to overcome the challenges, to see if these are feasible and viable alternatives to what exists. And if the consensus, not the rabid response from the naysayers that automatically have a default setting... You know, I'm not going to change my mind because I have my own view. Mm. And that's the end of the discussion. And and there is a lot of that that goes on in football. Those that decided that VAR was not something they wanted from the get-go are going to spend their entire time finding a way to discredit it rather than accepting that it's here and looking at the principles of what it's improving rather than the failings that it has at this moment in time. So with that in mind, I don't think that the IFAB... So it wasn't so long ago that Marco van Basten was sitting in an IFAB uh, environment suggesting that the offside rule should be removed. And these discussions get had, they get kicked around, they get ruminated upon, and they get elected upon, or they get removed. So, and, and, and the only way, I suspect, is to trial these things in a live situation. I'm not suggesting that lower leagues have lesser importance than the Premier League and the FA Cup and so on and so forth, but it, is, it operates at a different level of intensity, a different level of refereeing expectation in a, in a, in a sort of a non-elite game than it does in an elite game I'm not for it not because I'm just someone that sits in a manger a dog in a manger saying I want it to stay the same I I want it to evolve but what I really want is referees to grow a pair make decisions and deal with those decisions you know this idea that players can fall over on the pitch and and get game stopped when once upon a time the only the only rule was if it's a head injury Mm. now it's when everyone decides right? and if you don't do that the other players get all offended it's about refereeing. It's about referees establishing the authority in the pitch. If they want rid of dissent and they want rid of simulation and they want rid of of, of of professional fouls in certain parts of the pitch that are considered to be part of football folklore, taking one for the team, then meet out the consequences that you feel is appropriate by having the authority and the confidence to do it. That's a cultural thing, not a rule thing. Oh three seven one seven double two double three double four. You can text us eight ten eighty nine if you want to have your say on it. Is this an example of where you have to differentiate between the professional and elite game and the grassroots I game? I hope not. I think we want to try and keep it the same throughout. I mean, obviously VAR has seen to that. We don't quite have that anymore, do we? Um, and I think there's a suggestion as well, isn't there, that they that the FA want to look at um, VAR and this um, semi-automated technology that they don't believe is ready yet. And I find that astonishing as well. Your 100% essential download. Outspoken with White and Jordan. Good morning. It is TalkSport with Sam Matterface and Simon Jordan. In for Jim White today and Martin Keown is here, Arsenal Invincible. Martin, do you think... Why does your voice go down a level when you mention me every time? Simon think? Jordan, it's... Oh, yeah. Tell me, come on. I don't get that from Any, Jim. Do you not? Bless him, bless him, yeah. Signposts, everything, amazing. Come on, we need to 
up you your need, game. Are you, trying, are you telling me I need to sell just been, you more? I've just been told off because I was talking to McGuigan last week about, about his father, dribble. the legend. Well, you wanted to go outside just a minute ago and start singing Danny Boy. No, no, no. I was referring to the, the emotion of Barry McGuigan in the ring and his father's in the corner singing Danny Boy. We're in the middle of a grown How up can he lose with that? A European champion. Shane McGuigan's talking about Adam Azim's chances. He goes, uh, uh, let me get in, let me get in. Uh, will your dad sing Danny Boy again? We're all like, <laughs> no, 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 what? Because, because something, it's not just get about outside, science. Keo. It's not just about science, it's about emotion, yeah? yeah. Something you'll never really get to the bottom of. I do have there. emotion. You dig deep. You dig deep. You throw the punches that knock Disdain. people out. Disdain. We were about to have an adult conversation just then before he interrupted. How did get involved in that? Sorry thing? that I'm interrupting your show, yeah, it's, Mr. It's, Chairman. Listen, it's you who I wanted to ask a question to, but you started That's talking about. First. That makes a first. You're actually coming to me first. Go on. Okay, let's let's do it. Mr. Make Chairman, it right if I ask Martin he's got a question, an, he's got an inferiority yeah, complex, yeah, isn't he? Not hasn't at all. Yeah. I just speak the truth. Anyway, Martin. Uh, serious conversation actually and it is quite uh, serious and it takes you back to the middle of your career. Do you think that there was a, dr- uh, a doping problem in football during your era? It wasn't something that I was actively aware of. I think occasionally, occasionally you played against opponents in Europe, maybe Champions League, and you thought, wow, I can't believe the uh, distance that they're covering. Um, I can't believe how quick some of the players are. Um, I'd, be, I'd be hurt if I, if I was to look back now and find the evidence that other people were cheating because, you know, we were taking zinc, iron and, and minerals and, uh, and eating well. And if other people were cheating and and conquering us because of it then you'd feel completely cheated I'll tell you why I ask it's because Gary Neville and his former Manchester United colleague Roy Keane have revealed their suspicions that they played against teams in the mid-2000s that weren't clean if you had those suspicions did you communicate them to your teammates did you have those discussions in the dressing room not really I think this is something they're looking back on and and there's evidence now isn't there the Juventus players were potentially taking um, in performance enhancing drugs one or two of them were banned since subsequently so with that evidence in mind then it's a, it was a fact and they may be looking back thought Do you know what that makes sense that makes sense that they were looking across at them they didn't even look like they got a sweat on um i think that's a real shame i, I mean that we were to, to let people reassure people know uh, what was happening at our football club we were being tested every four or five days at one stage the fa were at arsenal regularly I think they were seeing this French guy coming in, what's happening, the players. I don't know whether that suspicion came our way, but I do remember being checked a number of times. And number five used to come out of the hat regularly. So I was tested so many times through that, that period at Arsenal. It was eight years. It was ridiculous. OK, let's hear what Gary and, and Roy had to say on the overlap. I think there were a few teams that we played against that weren't clean. I thought we thought it at the time. What were, they, were two, what were they two pumped up? They were two pumped Must up. be the Italian teams. Honestly, the, I remember yeah. the mean gigs in the mid-2000s. We were fit. When we played thought, certain teams, I would be walking off and I'd be, you're absolutely shattered. Mm. And I, again, I remember it. And I'd be looking at players I played against, a couple of Italian teams. You what? And they look like they've not even yeah. played a match. Yeah, yeah. That, honestly. Well, I, why I, can't we talk about that? Are we not? Well, no, you, you, I, I don't know. I mean, you can't accuse people of... But you want to have? <laughs> <laughs> no, we're but, not naming names or no, clubs. We're not naming clubs. No, but my point is, I think that when you look back, when you look back now what came out after in cycling yeah, yeah, and other yeah, sports yeah. and doctors, and then you think... And, and we, thought, we thought at the time there were things that, like, that I'm sorry, physically, we, yeah. we, we were fit. We, we weren't drinkers. We were fit. We were so, that's not right. Mm. There's something not right. I came off a pitch against an Italian team. I was like, that's not right. That's not right, I'm sorry. Um, it's public record that in 2004, the Juventus doctor Ricardo Agricola was given a suspended 22-month prison sentence uh, for providing a performance-enhancing drug. It was later cleared on appeal. And, you know, we're, not, we're not accusing anybody here. We're just having a discussion about it because there are um, 
examples of drugs infiltrating sport. Maradona was thrown out of the World Cup in 1994. Recreational drugs, though. No, no, he was tested for positive for ephedrine in was that he? World Cup okay. um, after getting down very quickly in terms of uh, weight uh, for that um, that particular tournament. We know that in other sports, THG was used by US sports people in the early 2000s because it was difficult to pick up. Marion Jones, baseball star Barry Bonds, was accused of it. Major League Baseball had a big problem with human growth hormone um, later on in that decade. Are we naive, Simon, to think that it hasn't been more prevalent than we suspect in football? Um, I think the argument has always been around it that the the utilisation of PEDs was for different sports because there were different requirements from those sports and that football didn't quite meet those requirements in terms of um, the physicality of power that boxers required and the power that certain athletes required to be as explosive um, as, as they were and football, the credentials of footballs were slightly different. I, I, I would be amazed if these kind of things hadn't happened in football mm. because no sport and no desire to enhance your uh, performance um, is immune to that ideology and that philosophy. The fact that football has got a, re- a reasonably decent testing regime. Mm. Um, if you look at the uh, the other sports, like, say, boxing, with the UK testing regime, it's pitiful because the funding of it isn't there from the government and the sport itself isn't providing enough funding. So you're seeing this ridiculous level of testing on, on, on fighters completely disproportionate to the amount of fighters that are there and the reality of what could be utilised in that sport. But football tests a lot more comprehensively because there's a lot more money in football but I also think it's one of those subject matters that has not really been of interest to football recreational drugs and we've seen players falling foul of that you know we've seen Rio Ferdinand have his troubles we've seen Mark Bosnich had his troubles in the past Ferdinand missed the test that wasn't that wasn't or or, or whatever yeah Um, but the point is is that and and subsequently got banned for it Um, but the point is is that is is that I, I, I love these hindsight moments it's like the hindsight moments that Gary Neville had when he saw racism in a dressing room with Ashley Cole and did nothing about it and now we're talking about it 20 years well, later it was difficult to do something about it when you're a player isn't well, it it's, well, it's not really if, if you're if, asked if, about if, it if subsequently you, if, if you, you give be- your opinion if you believe that that ultimately there's something amiss then there's nothing wrong with suggesting that people might want to have a look at that. It's not found well, maybe any they did light. at the time. Maybe they did. I'm not suggesting that they didn't. I, I doubt that they did because it's much easier to talk about things in hindsight uh, than it is to deal with things in, at the real time. But does it that subsequently mean that we need to look at the sport through a different prism? Is the testing regime sufficient enough? Have we do we have do we have enough evidence? In this country, we're seeing an indexing to Italy. We're seeing some very high-profile names that are currently managing in our game that have found themselves in arguments about PEDs Mm. in the past. A Mal on Sunday report um, by Edmund Willison found at least 15 Premier League footballers found drugs tests between 2015 and 2020 and none of them were given any kind of ban. 12 of those tested positive for banned performance-enhancing substances. Um, do you think well, that the, the problems have gone away now? Well, I mean, you, you look at other sports. I mean, cycling, Lawrence Armstrong made a cheat in an art form, didn't he? The, the way that he got away with things. Looking back to Ben Johnson, ben Johnson. when he lost that gold medal, I, I think six of the seven athletes were then subsequently found to have cheated. So it starts to you start to wonder what sort of sport we're watching. Uh, I, I always felt football was clean, and, I, and I'm going to maintain that because... Uh, I took to the field, um, you know, by fair means. And I was hoping that everybody else was doing the same. So it's disappointing to hear these stories. Um, but I don't mean you stop it because I think people, I mean, I can't believe 
the jeopardy involved. Can you imagine if it's a lifetime ban? Surely these players should be being banned. I think the structures. Of, I think the structures of sports also determine some of the outcomes because when you've got these individual sports where individuals, uh, I know that football's moved on, I know that players have their relationship with their own nutritionists and their own advisors around them, but when you're in a team environment, if it's a different framework and a different fabric and a different dynamic to who employs you and what engages you. When you're in cycling, I know they ride for certain teams, but individually they are individual athletes, and you tend to see this manifesting itself more often in the individual sports. And we're not, we're not hearing... In America, we're not hearing about basketball players that have, have had issues. We're not hearing, OK, Barry Bonds is on discussion, but we're not hearing about baseball having that many issues. So it seems to be in specific... Oh, was a mass- in 2013, there was a massive, great big uh, thing about baseball players using human growth hormone. OK. All right, well, then maybe baseball was a bad example. Um, but we tend to see it when we're talking about it. We've just listed... Martin just did and listed a series of athletes that are really individuals that are operating in a certain way and their individual performance that is being determined by what they want from themselves rather than what a team environment drives them to be. Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Here's a cool fact a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact you can get short term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Download, stand well back, listen. Outspoken with White and Jordan. From the world's biggest sports radio station, Talk Sport. Talk sports, and uh, we've got live football for you on uh, both Saturday, Sunday, and Monday night, Tuesday night, and Wednesday night as well. Looking forward to bringing that to you. Uh, of course, we had live boxing last week, and in the studio right now, we've got Ben Whitaker, boxer first and foremost, uh, the Olympic silver medalist, British light heavyweight, joins us live in the studio. Hello, thanks for coming in. Thank you very much for having me. Yeah, cheers for turning up today and uh, coming into the studio with Martin Keogh and occupying the same space as Martin Keogh because he can be quite distracting I'll let him at times. Yeah. We're about the same weight, by the way. Well, what, huh? weight, what weight are you? Is that uh, light heavyweight, so it's light. about 79. Simon told so you what's that? I told you not to ask boxing questions. Listen, I'm the only real other fighter in this room. (laughs) You kidding me? So we'd be so now you yeah we'd be about the same weight then. I don't know trouble. Yeah, I'm trouble. Trouble, (laughs) He hasn't weighed you, so how would he bloody know? Um, Uh, Anyway, look a bit heavier than me, so. 
okay. <laughs> as well as being a British light heavyweight, you're also uh, made the name for yourself with your flamboyant displays, most recently with a unique performance against uh, Cali Gredia on the undercard of Boazzi Aziz last weekend. Um, it, it's long been a showman sport, boxing, hasn't it? Are you just following a long tradition of showboaters or are you taking it to a new level? Um, like I said in a couple of my other interviews, maybe I've had a bit too many smarties in the changing room and I get a bit carried away, but... This game's all about showmanship, you know. Um, I could have easily got the job done pretty simple, but taking that risk, it gets the fans out the chair, it makes them want to pay. And at the end of the day, they're paying their hard-earned money, so that's what it's about. Who inspired you? Um, truthfully, uh, a Cuban called Mario Kindling. He beat Amir Khan in the Olympic final. Great mm. boxer. Um, he does the, the art, if I'm honest, hit and not get hit. And then when you look down the line, people like the Emmanuel Augustus, uh, Floyd Mayweather, Tommy Hearns, all of those type of boxers who I look up to. Watching the, the, you on Saturday night, I mean, the sort of immaculate timing of your bob and your weave, you're getting out, is it calculated? Do you do you know when you can do it and when you can't do it? Or is it something because you've got some sort of a, a amazing instinctive reaction, you can do it faster than others? Yeah, it's all about, I keep saying this, as method to the madness, you know, you're doing it for a reason. You're not just doing it for the views, the likes, trying to show off. You're doing it because it's a tactic. Um, if you actually saw the fight, the first round, I took my time time, mm. broke him down, seen what he was about, come out second round, I thought I've got him now, dropped him, then we took it from there and started dancing. Well, watching uh, ringside with Simon and Noel Gallagher, mm. and they were asked by Spencer Oliver during the course of the fight what they thought of the showboating. I mean, there's a balance, and I have to say I'm a little bit old school when you start taking the mickey out of fighters, but, but I'm also an admirer of charisma. So I think we've seen this evening that he's beginning to go up levels. This was another level up, but the quality and the... Uh, the potency of his workmanship was there to be admired. I think you're, you've got a mixed emotion about it, Noel. Let me ask you, do you think it's a mickey taker? No, I don't think it's a mickey taker. I just think it wasn't necessary in that fight. But I think you were saying the higher up the level he goes, he won't be able to get, get away with that. But he will, he, will, he will bring a lot of young people into boxing because the people like that kind of thing. Yeah, I mean, look, I mean, I'm in the camp that charisma is something that you need to have in sport. And I think with this young man... I think, uh, first of all, you know, I've watched him for a while. I watched him, I went to see him in Bournemouth um, when he fought in Bournemouth. I've seen a lot of his fights. I also like, I liked his approach from the silver medal kind of thing. What's the silver medal? First loser, I didn't come here for a silver medal, I come here for a gold. Exactly. Some people will say that's arrogant. I think it's belief. Um, the balance is between um, being able to deliver an outcome and at the same time entertain. And there was a period of time when people hated Nazim Hamid. I didn't like what he did to Steve Robinson in the final in the, in the fight in, in Cardiff. I thought he took the Mickey a little bit too much. But I watched him on Saturday. This boy has all the tools. He has all the tools. And he wasn't fighting a mug on Saturday. He was fighting somebody that had taken Dan Aziz, who was a headlining the event, mm. 12 rounds. I think he got it got a little bit more sticky for you, Ben, because I think you dropped him in the second round and I think you thought he was done. Yeah, and he came actually, back a little bit gamer. I fair play, exactly. But I think this boy, I'm telling you, not because he's sitting across the table for me, this boy is a superstar in the making. If he gets the right people around him, gets promoted the right way and matched the right way, you are looking at a superstar both in the ring and outside the ring. Can no you, doubt about it. Can you see that? You recognise that in yourself? Do you know what you have to do to get to those levels? Yeah, of course. Um, I'm flashy in the ring, of course, but I've got a good head on my shoulders. You know, I've got a great family. Uh, I know when to cut the distractions out. And I know if you do, do go down the wrong path, you can easily get lead, led away. Um, I don't party. I don't drink. I actually live the life. So... The showboating's good now, but when I'm at the top level, fighting for a world title, it's 60-40 in their favour, and I'll come out and hop on one leg. That's why I'm excited to show again. 
Um, have you had much blowback from people inside the sport? Does anyone say it to you face-to-face? Not on social media, but does anyone come up to you sort of while you're in and around where where you're working, doing your business? Oi, tone it down a bit. Actually, no. You know where uh, these uh, keyboard worries, it's always yeah. online, but at the end of the day, that's what I love about boxing, that's what I love about sport. Everybody's got their own opinion. If they love it, they hate it, they'll tune in. But the one thing I'll always touch on, uh, the disruptive, disrespectful claims I'm definitely not disrespectful I um you never see me effing and blinding you never see me belittle the opponent you never see me um talk about his looks and things like other boxers have done if anything after I make sure I lift up his hand make sure the crowd clap for him and uh, I, I, stuff I like that, that fight and uh, you you seem to write fight with a rhythm yeah and a feel mm-hmm. and you you break down your opponent yeah but you, it's on the edge a little bit yeah and and uh, you know, if I'm watching that and I'm boxing, I'm thinking, I'm just gonna, I'm gonna. Do you know what? All these movements, yeah. I'm gonna tag him. Yeah, yeah, I'm gonna tag him. And so, how do you now? Okay, you get some confidence from that fight the other night because your performance was yeah. amazing. How do you stay humble and you keep that desire and you don't go ahead of yourself? How do you prepare now for for the next one? Well, yeah. Firstly, the skills come from dodging the broomstick when I was a little boy. You know, I had to keep on my toes. <laughs> but um, yeah, I think, like I said, I come across, I might come across a bit cocky and things like that, but. Below the surface, I'm very humble, you know. I know it can go like that in the sport of boxing. One shot can change the whole fight. Uh, so that's why I train hard. You know, I leave no stone unturned. And I make sure each fight I'm treating like a world title fight. Because at the end of the day, if I go in there lackadaisical, overlooking the opponent, it won't go the way I want it to go. What's Sugar Hill saying to you? Honestly, a lot of people are saying, oh, Sugar Hill might not like that. He's come from a school of boxing. But honestly, Sugar loves it. Yeah. You know, um, when I go to the gym, I can showboat, but... I'm a purist of the sport, you know, I know I need to learn the basics, so we go over scenarios, we go over the simple things like a jab, being in situations where I will have to pick up my hands. But then again, when I'm in that flow, he says, you know what, I there can't teach yeah. this for you. You know what you're doing. But Just they do, do pull it. you in, don't they? I mean, yeah, yeah, of they course. They do say, right, let's get him out of here now. Yeah, okay, even, enough yeah. now. Yeah. Joby does it, yeah. Sugar does it. Yeah. Even in this last fight, I, s- I sat down and Joby said, you've had your fun, yeah, now I get him. him out of there. I saw him. And uh, the next yeah. round I went and did that, so it's good to switch But what it. does it do for you, Ben? Is it a way of keeping you focused? Is it Because there is an element of it. It's taking... It is... It is and understand what you're saying. In the ring, it's up for the opposition to do their job, right? And if they don't like what you're doing, it's their job to fill you in, exactly. right? which is what exactly. Josh Boratsu said he would do if you did it to him, right? But <laughs> in, the inst- in the instance of what it's doing for you, right, w- why do it? I'm not against it. I mean, yeah. you backhanded him a couple of times, you <laughs> pat- punched him on the top of the head, you're taking the mickey. You are, yeah. right? It's up to the other guy to do something about it. But what's it doing for you? What- yeah. Why do you want to do that? Like, there's so many things about it. Firstly, it gets you in a rhythm. Yeah. There's different looks, different angles you can see from the opponent. And sadly, when I was at school, I was a wind-up merchant. So yeah. was my boxing star. If you're going to bite to it, per- you, perfect. You in the hard man, in the playground at school, were you, what, what, what made you box? Truthfully, uh, well, I was diagnosed with ADHD when I was a young kid. Um, Best people are, mate. Hey, there we go. Do you know, I was diagnosed with ADHD. Um, I had to take a Ritalin when I was a kid, but my mum didn't like the way it reacted. So my dad said, I know what's good for him. We'll take him down to the gym burn off some energy they didn't want me to box actually just to get a bit of discipline i think my dad wanted me to get filled and then i'd stop messing around but <laughs> my first bar actually did decent to impress my dad i signed up did the medical myself come home and said dad i'm boxing next saturday he said i don't know about this he came down and watched me i was doing the little alley shuffle then and stuff my dad said we're taking it serious and ever since then we've not looked back you mentioned what it does for you. What does it do to your opponents? Is there a plan that you are trying to provoke them, in a sense, to give yourself another option? 100%. Uh, I don't like to give away all the tactics, of course, but, yeah, if you're going to bite to it, get frustrated and fall in, 
bow there we go and that's what you do it for like i said i don't do it for the likes the instagram reels that's good i'm not going to complain but it's a tactic you know everybody can stand there and have a war but you don't see many especially at light heavyweight being able to move being able to react from the hips and things like that but there'll be a time and place when i do need to put my hands up walk somebody down and fight as well so that's why i'm excited you're surprised show. by the attention ben i mean atypically you wouldn't normally be sat in some of the studios you're sat in six yeah. fights into a professional yeah, career exactly. and you're getting a lot of attention it's very important that you balance that out and keep yeah. it real and i'm sure at 26 now uh, but are you surprised because you know the media are all over you you've been here a couple of times people are talking to you left right and center yeah. Are you surprised that you've garnered this much of attention? Honestly, yeah. Um, like you said, my debut, I did it. My second yeah. fight, I did it. Third fight in the Olympics, I did it. Previous amateur fights, I did it. And yeah, you'd probably get the odd little like on Instagram and you'd move on to the next. And I said to somebody, usually the routine is I go and do my showboating, I win, go and have a shower, wake up the next day, eat my all-you-can-eat breakfast and the day is as it is. But I don't know what happened. I woke up, I've got thousands and thousands of followers messages opportunities here and there but like i said that's all good but if you fall into that you can get lost i'm keeping my head on the plan and i'm on to what's next already so what is what next because you're expected to fight again in the next few months yeah. what are you going to do uh, that's the good thing with this popularity now they want me out they want me active and want eyes on me but um i'm back in the gym monday um hopefully we get an opponent hopefully get a date in march and then we can take it from there louis edmondson Hey, you don't want to give him a payday you don't <laughs> want to give him because you don't like him but it's a decent fight isn't it exactly the good thing is in Britain there's all good fights you know I mean I'm in a very privileged position where people are calling me out I'm six yeah. fights in the calling me out and even on Twitter I saw a, a, it's quite silly really six fights in the put Ben with Bivol Ben with Baturbia yeah. Ben with Benavides if they put my names with them in six fights I'm doing something right so we'll see what's next and hopefully we can make some good fights why don't you like him I don't mind him. Do you know what I mean? He don't like me. At the end of the day, they're calling me out. They want the payday. Do you know what I mean? At the end of the day, I'm the person that they want to fight for the money. I'm the money man right now by the looks of it. What's going to happen to you when you get one on the chops? Um, Who knows? Do you know what I mean? Uh, when, I, when I'm in sparring, of course, I do like to take that risk of getting hit just to feel it, you know. So I do know when the time's there, I can react well, but... Under the lights, who knows, but I don't want to get hit if I'm honest. Because that's an important thing, isn't it? If you're going to be this superstar, which yeah. people are suggesting that you're going to be, you're going to have to take it at some point, and it's how you react to that that's yeah. important. Exactly, and that's where, like I said, that's where your training comes in. When I'm in, in Miami, I'm sparring some top operators. Of course, they will hit me now and again, and I kind of like it sometimes. It keeps you humble, keeps you grounded, and you, you, you know I can take a shot. I kind of like it. I kind of like it for the fact where... I don't want to take it in a fight, so I'd want to take it in sparring. That's what sparring's for, and it shows that I can take a shot, but under them lights, I don't want to take a shot. If I'm honest, I want to come out when my look's intact and chill out. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, this is a great division, light heavyweights. John Conti's former division, who was a great British champion at one particular time and a world title holder. But you look at that division, and you look at it, and you've got the two boys at the top, um, Better Biev and Bivol. Then you've got recently in our division, you've got Anthony Yard that can whack. You've got Josh Prowatsi. You've got Callum Smith, you know, you've got Dan Aziz, you've got Craig Richards, you know, that fought Bivol for a world title. These are all stepping stone opportunities, not Bivol and Better Biev, but the, 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 the other guys around are going to be opportunities for Ben. And, it's, and it will be interesting to see when he takes one on the whiskers and what it does to him or what it doesn't do to him, because he's going to get one. Yeah. You know, he's going to get even, you know, Better Beer got whacked by Anthony Yard. Exactly. It's about what you respond to it. But again, I, I think there's so many opportunities for him. Um, and it's about what he does 
rather than what the others do. There'll be a perception of him that he's a flash sod, and, and, and <laughs> I, I don't think he is. I think what he is is very good at what he does. I watched it, and my, a few of my mates' reaction on Saturday night um, um, was, I'll tell you what, he needs a smack in the mouth. My reaction was, <laughs> actually, no, I like this. Mm. This is charisma. This is style. This I want is marketable. To, uh, well, yeah, and, and absolutely. But I don't want him to listen. I, I hope he doesn't, and I'm sure he won't if he's got the right people around him, to all this crap about he's going to be a superstar because that yeah, will come. Right? Exactly. He'll get paid and he'll get made. Right? That will all happen. Right? I, I think that we, I remember meeting Amir Khan um, in about 2003 after he'd won, of 2004, whenever it was, after he'd won the uh, silver medal in the Olympics there yeah. and having a conversation with him because I was living at the Grosvenor House Hotel. He came in there on a promotional thing and we had a chat. And he went on, and but he got caught in a fight and got yeah. knocked out and it didn't help him because a lot of people were building up the reputation around him I'm not suggesting this is going to happen to Ben but Khan went on to be a superstar and and I think he will but I also think it's important that people distill the difference between someone that's got innate ability and someone that's able to sell himself against what the boy really is because you can see listening to him you know this is a, and I think he's in the right space I think he's got a young promoter in, in boxer with a young dynamic promoter He's got the main broadcaster necessarily alongside him in Sky. The world's his oyster. The world's his opportunity. And do you take those cautionary tales that Simon's talking about seriously? Do you think about that? Have you talked that over with your team? Yeah, you know, um, I used to hate the claims of superstar, if I'm honest. You hear it all the time, superstar, this superstar, that at the end of the day, your boxing's what speaks and your boxing's what gets you to where it needs to be. Mm. And I know that, so um, all this media and stuff's great at the moment, but... If you listen to it, get too big for your boots. Sadly, I'll stay where I'm at. So, uh, like I said, I just focus on myself, make sure I cut no corners. And when I do become a superstar, there's other opportunities. There's Hall of Famer, Undisputed, this and that. So, that's my goals. I always want to do one more. So, you set your targets high. Yeah, there's no, there's no reason why not to. People have done it before, so why can't I? And that's that's the mindset I have. Um, people call it um, cocky, but I call it confidence. And in all walks of sport, you need confidence or you fall short. Your 100% essential download, Outspoken with White and Jordan. Thanks for listening to Outspoken with White and Jordan. Please leave us a five-star review wherever you get your podcasts. We'll be back on Monday to bring you the best of the show. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince? They exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns.